0: Hello and welcome to this special series of Start Somewhere, for COP26, the climate emergency. And this week, I am so thrilled to be joined by somebody so amazing. I mean, like her, her journey life has been extraordinary and I, I, I just love the work she, she does. And like, It's just such an honour to be able to catch up with her here. And she is June Ives, who's executive director
1: of Lonely Whale. Hi, June. How are you? I'm well, I'm well. That's such a great intro. I'm humbled and really honored to be on this podcast with you. Thank you for having me. Well, no, thank you. I, I
0: mean, you know, really, I, I mean, <laughs> you know, your journey is extraordinary and, 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 and I can't wait to hear all about it. And I don't know, it just seems to me like when I when I look at your background and, and, and you know, having, you know, our exchanges in the past that, you know, like... Activism and the planet have always been in your DNA somehow. I mean, you know, you know, and, and we always start this interview by like, how you know, asking how did you get started? I mean, was it always in your DNA? <laughs> was
1: it always an early passion of yours? You know, I, I it must have been, it must have been, and I think it, I think it just goes back to my mom. So I'm a, I'm an only child raised by a single mom. Um raised in Fairbanks, Alaska, right in the middle of the state where it gets 70 below or used to get 70 below. <laughs> uh, not quite anymore. Um, and from a really early age, I remember my mom helping individual people that she didn't need to help. You know, she didn't. There's a I love the woman named Ada, an Alaskan Eskimo, who she met, and she was living in this apartment that didn't have you know, the windows wouldn't shut, there were holes in the walls. And she found a way to get her into assisted living and to low income rent, you know, uh, rent stabilized living. And Ada, as a thank you, fed us muktuk. Um and, and I think, you know, I think those moments from a very, very, very young age, I think they just stick with you forever, that your responsibility is to help people you don't know um, and to enjoy muktuk. Even when you don't, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but from a cultural legacy standpoint, you know, I think, I think really understanding where people come from, I think it just always, has always come from my mom. It's been something that's always been a part of me.
0: Amazing. And, 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 and I don't know, also like, the, I mean, Alaska is an extraordinary place. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, t- tell us a little bit about, about Alaska for those that don't know. Cause also, I mean, there's a lot going on in Alaska. So it's, you know, controversy right now.
1: Oh, there always has been. There always has been. It's Alaska. I, I think um, it's really important to not try to stereotype Alaska. Alaska is a very interesting place. There's the, you know, clash of cultures. Um, so much, um, I think, opportunity that has come from a lot of community strife, but belief as well in the individual. It's always been kind of a common theme in Alaska, um, but also the importance of, of really you know, reaching your hand out and helping each other. So I, so I grew up in Fairbanks, Alaska, right in the middle of the state, um, second largest city in Alaska. My mom went up there to work on the pipeline. She worked on the Alaska pipeline mm-hmm. when I was just a babe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember as a kid going to the union hall every day. My mom was a twenty-two. Go to the union hall every day until she got a job, um, and that was the way of life. So it's cold, cold, cold during the winter. You always knew if somebody was hitchhiking during the winter, you pick them up
0: because so nobody in the right place. So.
1: You know, nature kills. Oh, it's, it's a place too where you realize like nature can kill you very quickly. So you you grow up, I think, with a healthy respect. Of nature. And then the summers are just delightful. You know, daylight um, all day, 24 hours a day, tons of things to do outside, gigantic mosquitoes tracking you down. Um, So it was a kind of place where you could really be a kid and you could really just run through the forest and explore and collect wild blueberries and then play games during the winter because there's nothing else to do.
0: How extraordinary. And as you say, this life very close to nature because so much of it is determined. You know, with 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 you know with those extremes, you know, you know, being very dark in the winter and very light in the summer, and you become very attuned to kind of nature's kind of rhythm, you know, how however you know many electric lights <laughs> or oh, god knows what else you have. And then like, I mean, there you are in the middle of Alaska. You know, how did you find your purpose? You know, was it was it, I mean, was it this more gradual process or was there kind of like a a day that you you kind of almost hit over the head and and went oh my god this is this is
1: what I need to do I think I always knew what I didn't want to do Mm. I you know I never learned how to use a fax machine (laughs) (laughs) purposefully I think that was never going to be part of my plan (laughs) they're obsolete now anyway so they're obsolete I know I can't believe I just said facsimile but facsimile Um, but my mom will say that I, when I was in eighth grade, I looked at her and I said, I'm going to, I'm going to get my PhD in psychology. I don't remember that moment and I don't know why psychology, but that came from an early age of, I'm going to get my PhD. Um, I mean, you have to understand too, Sarah, I grew up extremely poor, you know, we were on food stamps as a kid. We really had nothing except for each other and, you know, the, the kindness of our neighbors in some cases, Um, So I grew up from a really humble beginning. And I think that always, I think that sets the tone for your life as well, too, that you really appreciate the things that are given to you and the opportunities you really take advantage of them. So I I think I found my purpose, though, honestly, when I had my first job out of grad school. So I went for my PhD program, not into academia and not into research, um, and certainly not as a therapist. I'm a research psychologist by training. And I joined one of, at the time, one of the big four accounting firms. And that was Arthur Anderson, who doesn't exist anymore because this little thing with Enron happened (laughs) a few years ago. Tiny little thing. Um, But when I was with Anderson, I was working on this project. Oh, my gosh, Sarah. I was dying inside. I was working on a survey for a, a company. I won't say one of our clients. And their partners um, were overseas, and this company wanted to better understand whether or not the expat services they were receiving were um, acceptable and beneficial to them. And I just remember thinking, you know what, there's more to life than this. I can't do this. This This is not me. It's not who I am. It's not what I believe in. Am I happy with the services they're receiving while they're expats in a foreign country? I'm not really sure that's something that drives me. And so I left Anderson and I went right into the environmental fields and I started working on energy efficiency as a core resource in the Pacific Northwest at the Northwest Energy Efficiency Alliance. And I think it was at that moment that I, I've never considered myself an environmentalist. I'm kind of a pragmatist, I guess. I'm a realist and... Um, but I just knew how important it was to develop this resource yeah. to really help to avoid brownouts and blackouts, which was our trajectory in the Pacific Northwest after we canceled all of our nuclear projects. And and that really drove me. That's I think that's where it began. I think I realized I can take these talents I have and I can help an expat have a great experience um, or... I can help make sure we don't have blackouts and brownouts. I'm going to go this way and see see where it leads. That was my that was my first moment of ah, this is this is my purpose in life.
0: And and also, I mean, just going back a little, I mean, to acknowledge you, like you know, age eight to say I'm going to go and get a PhD is is a big thing. I mean, I, I don't know whether all of our audience necessarily appreciate because it's quite a global audience. So just the sheer expense of education in the states. <laughs> Your mom must have been like great and then like like
1: you know oh my god you know so you know. I think she's just happy that I switched um as an undergrad I told her one time I'm gonna be a history major. <laughs> I wanted to be a museum curator and she, she did I, all I, the tools she gave to me. Oh my
0: god, I, I read history. <laughs> it, it it served me in very good stead. But yeah, I, I think it was certainly um, I don't know, in, 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 in the UK where I did my degree, it was more about the uh the intellectual rigor rather than the actual like you know undergraduate degree. But it's, it served me in very good stead because I I always look at the roots of things, you know. I I have this, exactly right. this, this this great interest and and this is where like I think my love and fascination for how brands and systems and, and things come from, because I always want to look at how they started. And, and
1: you learned so much that way. Um, so so yeah. I think that was my fascination too. That's what I loved about history as well. I just couldn't explain it to her in a way that was so eloquent of what you just did. And, um, you know, history teaches us, it, it teaches us the patterns that we already have. And it, it teaches us too to look at the systems and what were the systems that governed at the time that enabled. Whatever it was, whatever the inflection point in our history as a human species, uh, what you know, what was that inflection point that came? What did we learn from it? And then, how do we evolve? How have we evolved, or not? Maybe how have we regressed? Well, well, well there is that too, because I mean, I, you know,
0: as you discover, you know, history is always written by the victors, and therefore an awful lot of people are left out, overruled. All- <laughs> You know, right? We so, 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 not anymore, though, right?
1: We just saw that at TED. Not anymore. Yeah, things are changing. Things
0: are, thank God, changing. Absolutely. And you know, I mean, this is extraordinary. I mean, like, like you know, this this eight-year-old with this big vision. <laughs> Like setting out, he heading <laughs> expats for the environment. I mean, I, I, well done you. Thank God you made that decision is all I can say. And then, I mean, you carried on in, 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 in the environmental field for, for quite some time. I and mean, you you've you done some really cool stuff, I have to say. So please tell us a little bit more about, about some of the other pro- projects and, 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 and things that you did. Thank you.
1: Yeah, it's been it's been a really interesting and fun journey. Um, so I so after a couple of years in the energy efficiency world, I went back to Arthur Anderson. <laughs> I think I'm a glutton. I, I love corporate America. I do. I, I really do. I really love the power of corporate America for good. I love understanding how it works, how it operates. And so I went back to Anderson. Microsoft is my client for a few years. Um, Enron happened. Um, we all left, obviously, because the right. company left us. And my husband was out at Microsoft at the same time, and we both looked at each other and, and just said, "You know, we, we there's got a, There's a different path for us. This corporate thing is interesting, but it's not what we're meant to do right now." So, then we went and we bought a five-acre fallow horse farm wow. up in the mountains, took our daughter with us, and raised her, you know, way out in the middle of nowhere. I uh, turned the horse farm into a an organi- certified organic farm. Oh my my God. So, you, you did that big little farm, you know, before it became a <laughs> <short. laughs> We did. We did. And we, you know, we, we, uh, we sold all the vehicles. We bought a tractor. You know, we really downsized our life, and we learned, I think the thing that we learned there is, is community and mm-hmm. the importance of community. Because when you live in a city, you can be really anonymous, right? You can live next to each other and have no idea who is next to you, their stories, their backgrounds. But when you live in a rural community, you are really dependent on each other. and And there's so much that can come from knowing your neighbors and supporting each other. And and it was a wonderful experience. But then one day my husband looked at me and he's I I think he may have said, You're driving me crazy. You need to go back to work. <laughs> 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 we didn't make any money farming. We learned a lot. But we <laughs> spent a lot of money farming. And so that's that, that, yeah, I, I
0: think that's a, a fairly consistent um you know, issue for smallholder farmers, which is why I guess we, we were in the state of the yeah. sort of industrial agriculture kind of machine that we're, we're now in in the grips of, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, I, I agree completely. And what was also interesting about that time is before we moved to the farm, we were both vegetarian, almost, you know, played around with veganism, vegetarian, you know, but very vegetarian, almost vegan. But when we moved to the farm, we had a lot of meat, Mm-hmm. And it was it was the meat that our our neighbors grew, yeah. so that was a really interesting transition for us as well as seeing regenerative agriculture kind of in you know in, in its early stages of getting a name, but watching mm-hmm. our neighbors do it um, it was it was really remarkable. But then I went back to corporate America. <laughs> <laughs> I always keep coming back to corporate, um, and I started a consulting firm focused on sustainability. I remember a conversation I had with my former client at uh, Microsoft. And I said, I just feel like, you know, the companies like Coca-Cola that use the polar bear and its branding, I just I feel like they should be doing something for the polar bear. And she said, she said, well, then you should go tell them. And I was like, oh, I hadn't thought about doing that. <laughs> why don't, why that sounds interesting. How do we do that? Um, so it was, yeah, it was a great experience at running a small consulting firm, I launched it during our big economic downturn in the States in 2008 during our housing crisis. It was really successful. And then I had the great fortune of meeting Mr. Paul Allen and his sister Jody. Um, Paul, of course, is the co-founder of Microsoft. And came on board to help give shape and form to world-changing initiatives that they were really compelled by. And I think that's when, that was my next inflection point, you know, in my life is I realized then that if we're really going to make a difference, you have to really get people to care about the environment. So here I am working for this gentleman who has $18 billion. It's a lot of money. It's, it's actually so hard. It it's to it's a lot of money. Yes. 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 It's hard to give it away. It's hard to give it away. It yes. accumulates faster than one can give it away, but it's also hard to find the right projects right. where you feel like, you really feel like you're going to be addressing the systems. He always said, don't give me band-aids. I want systems yeah.
0: change. Systems change exactly. And he's a businessman. I mean, uh, you know, so so he's going to look at these projects with with you know. Yes, I don't want to keep supporting a situation that is, is 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 not viable. You actually need to look at the whole systemic thing and what 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 needs to be changed, like further upstream, to actually make like, make, make yeah make the system tick much better. Yeah. That's very. Weird. I mean, like what an extraordinary kind of you know, insight to, to do that and to work with, I mean, one, one of the world's, you know, most brilliant businessmen of all time and, you know, with incredible mind. I mean, it must be extraordinary. You must keep you on your toes. <laughs> well,
1: the thing, the thing that you realize when you work for one of those big thinkers is you realize how little you know. It's a really humbling experience, and I think importantly so, because, I, you know, I, I, I think I went in feeling really good about myself <laughs> I have so much to offer. I can, you know, here's what I can do. You, you did. I mean, no, no, I mean, yeah, yeah, but Yes. And I was so excited about this one project. It's a really important project that we did in Zambia, where we're helping to um, train dogs that can go into the jungle and they can sniff out snares that are used by poachers to get elephants. Nice. And there's this amazing woman who runs this program. It's so incredible. And I was telling Paul – Look, all the snares that they found and, you know, here's here's how many elephants we've estimated that we protected from falling into the snares. And he looked at me and he goes, yes, but are we saving elephants? And I was like, yeah, look, like I have the numbers here. here. Here are how many elephants didn't get trapped. And he said, no, you don't understand. Are we are we stopping the problem? Yes. And that was the right question to ask. And it was at that moment I kind of took a step back and I was like, that's the question, right? So we have all of this work we're doing, right? We make a lot of motion every single day. We're constantly doing things as a species. But are we making a difference? Yes. Are we making a true difference? And that has really driven me through my entire time at Lonely Wells. Yeah, the campaigns have been great. They've been successful. Good, 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 good. But have we changed anything? Have we changed the system yet? And if we haven't changed the system, then we're not doing our job right. And we have to constantly challenge ourselves to not be so excited about what we did, but be really curious about what we can do and how can we do, how can we have more impact?
0: And I think that, I mean, that moment
1: with Paul and just everything I learned from him and his sister has really transformed me as a human and how I think about my role, how I think about what I have to offer, how much more I should do, you know, where should I really look for partners and leverage points to create real systemic change. So it's, it's been quite a journey. Um, I'm 50 now too. I just turned 50 this summer. So thank you. I'm part of the club. I love that. Um, But yeah, it's, it's been quite a journey.
0: Amazing. And, and, I mean, yeah, tell us a little bit more about kind of you know, Lonely Whale. Yeah, I mean, you obviously referenced Paul, but you know, w- what is like the mission of Lonely Whale? And, and, and what, is, what is kind of, the, you know, what's, what's, what's the scope, do you like?
1: Yeah, well, so we are, uh, in December, we'll be six years old. We were launched gen- in December Yes, <laughs> we're really fast. I know, I'm a Gen Xer can't believe I've been here for six years. That's crazy to me. Uh, And it was uh, co-founded by Lucy Sumner and Adrian Grenier. And when we started, I met them just a few months after they launched it. It was started out of inspiration from this whale, a real whale that has been swimming up and down the Pacific coast his entire life, calling out at a frequency of 52 hertz that no other whale has been known to call out. Uh, before or since he was found unless you watch the documentary on it and then you know the true story so you have to watch the documentary and what was captivating about this story is that for me anyways is that here's this character reference in the ocean that I can really connect to there's been lots of times in my life when I have called out and I have been misunderstood or I haven't received recognition back and and while he's been swimming for 35, 40 years, we make it really hard for him to survive, let alone thrive. Oh my God. Yeah. And so I, I was really moved by the story and, and how can we help people really engage in a way that's meaningful to them? Not just one time, but multiple times. And so our mission when we started was to connect people to each other and connect people to the ocean. Now, where we are and and the journey we've been on is we quickly found that we had this role of being an incubator for ideas that address gaps that we saw in the system. So, for example, we weren't the first organization to run a straw campaign, but we were the first organization to take over an entire city. And we were the first organization to quantify very specifically, here's the results of our campaign because we're working with a market actor, and we know how many straws have been replaced and how many straws have been completely eliminated. So that was a gift that we felt like we were we were trying to give is how can you use high production value content and campaigns that resonate with people? I don't particularly get very excited about like the last of anything. So like the last straw, the you know, those don't work well for me. But something like stop sucking, it's funny. <laughs> right. It's hilarious.
0: It's hilarious. And I, 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 I tell you know the French would say du you know. So, right. so, so people can take notice of that. And and I do feel that we need to have some fun injected in this. It's all I mean the problem is serious, but 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 we you know and overwhelming, <laughs> you know. So sometimes we need to have a little laughter, and and I always think that, you know. Consciousness in and 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 awareness is a light thing. So sometimes we just need to do that. And possibly I'm also I'm British, and and you know we we the Brits have a very dark sense of humour as well. I don't know.
1: Well, what we so what we did uh, and it's funny. Stop sucking actually doesn't translate um, quite how we yeah. thought it would into French. No matter how we translated it, it was naughty. Yeah. <laughs> And so we were like, that's great, let's do that. (laughs) This is very naughty. It was very naughty. Yeah. So that's a lot of what we've been doing since our start is just trying to find ways to bring new thinking, new content, new ways of engaging to really test out what works. And I think we now know what works. So our mission, we're you know, we're staying very steadfast on our mission to address plastic waste. Yes, which yeah, is how
0: we first met. Well, you know, I, I, I yeah, I, I mean, I remember years ago meeting Adrian in France, in Cannes, actually, when he came over here to he he came, he was talking, he just. Launched and, and and I was like, yeah, I'm right behind you, you know, like on, on the whole plastic waste thing. But, you know, and that's how we really first connected. You and I was around plastic waste. So tell us the extraordinary work you you're doing around plastic waste to end this scourge.
1: <laughs> Gosh, well, at least I don't know. If, we, we certainly won't end it by ourselves, but mm-hmm. hopefully what we're doing is inspiring and it gets other people engaged. Um, and it also shows a path forward. So we have... Three key things we're doing right now. We have our Ocean Heroes program, which is so amazing. We work with kids from over 90 countries to train them on how to do their own plastic pollution campaigns. But it's not just plastic pollution. They care deeply about biodiversity, about climate change, um, species loss, coral reef restoration. And so really at the core of it is teaching them how to work with each other. Yeah. and and work with each other across geographies and time zones. We're really fortunate we have been uh, gifted by a wonderful project by HP um, who I just think the world of. I think they're doing incredible work. The it's
0: astonishing work on, on,
1: on, on all fronts, really looking it's at that, that whole process and how they can make it more green. truly yeah. amazing. And so we've created a magazine with our kids. So we have six wow. of these incredible ocean leaders uh, from multiple countries and island nations, and they have produced the Awake magazine, which is for kids by kids and it's a quarterly magazine. It's digital as well as print. And we're going to do a lot more in that arena. So really excited. About those, that.
0: You know, for those who've got kind of younger brothers and sisters or, or, or moms or dads wanting to, to, to find out about how, how do they how do they find that magazine? Cause I'm sure
1: lots of kids would love to read that. You go to owake.org. It's O H W A K E.org. Would love to hear the feedback from it as well. These articles are so inspiring. It's about having a vegan diet. Um, How do you find your inner spirit to be able to drive forward in the face of adversity, especially as things are gonna get harder before they get easier. So that's exciting. We're really excited about that project. We also just launched the Tom Ford Plastic Innovation Prize, Mm -hmm. Um, the iconic American fashion designer uh, and leader, Mr. Ford. And that is really trying to address the 180 billion single use, non-recyclable thin film poly bags used by the fashion industry every single year. Oh my God. God. They are horrific. Yes. 46%, I mean, like, of plastic. Yeah, oh, no. 46% of plastic in the ocean is, is thought to be thin film. Certainly not these poly bags by themselves. Um, don't want to make that, that, ass, that assertion here. But yes. this is a great exercise in trying to find solutions that can scale, and really making sure we're creating an ecosystem in which these these innovators can succeed. So that, that was our next. That was our next. Yeah, I love
0: that. I mean, those thinned film things are pretty much unrecyclable as well because just, there's just no value in them. So so recyclers are a bit like you know next. Yes, so they end up in, in landfill and in the sea.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. And then we have Wave Plastics, which I just, I love. This is a consortium of 10 companies. We're adding a few more. We have an announcement coming out in December. But HP, Dell, Interface, Trek Bicycles, Human Scale, Herman Miller, IKEA, Guard, uh, a few others. And they are working together to stop plastic waste from getting into the ocean. They take that material And they permanently integrate it into their products. So what they're doing here is really important. They're demonstrating this waste material has value. Yes. Which if we're going to change, if we're going to change the plastic waste issue, we need to make recycled plastic affordable for companies. So what they're saying is, hey, we're not the ones creating the products that are getting into the water. We're going to stop them from getting in the water and we're going to demonstrate that we can use them in our air on chairs in our carpet tiles in our computer fans in our uh, grips on a on a bicycle handles and and that then demonstrates gosh it's possible to use this so why don't we collect more of it um, and use as much of it as we possibly can locking it up permanently into these products yeah so that's been a really a really important exercise yes
0: Oh, that just sounds amazing. And, and, you know, if people have, you know, cause we've got lots of kind of young entrepreneurs who are doing interesting things. I mean, like, you know, if they've got a great idea, you know, do, do you, you know, how, how do you consider the ideas that come into you?
1: Oh gosh. It, you know, we've got some very specific criteria for each one of these because we are really focused on our quantifiable impact. But there are there's no shortage of conversations we're willing to have with folks about ideas they have. Maybe it's not right for us, but maybe we can find somebody who's willing to fund it, find someone who's willing to champion it. I look at this plastic waste issue and I just think this is an innovator's dream come true. It just it is. It is. It's such a big problem. And there's so much need and there's so much pressure from youth activists From inside corporations, employees want something different from policymakers. We've got the, the plastics treaty that's being discussed right now. Um, and we're seeing. So the other thing we just did is we just launched an agency, a creative marketing agency called Fifty Two. Oh,
0: God, I didn't know that you've been
1: very busy. <laughs> so busy. <laughs> so busy. I'm a Gemini, so it's like I can't really sit still ever. <laughs> you've launched know, an agency. It's the same story. Fifty Two Hertz. Wow. Fifty Two Hertz. Yeah. It's it's great model. So hundred percent. Uh, the profits go back to Lonely Whale to all of our programs. Amazing. So it's very different than traditional marketing agencies where the partners retain the profits. <laughs> but we we haven't even advertised and we have clients, with so many clients that are asking us to create new product lines and do the launch or new campaigns with NGOs or create launch videos for these, like the iconic Aaron Chair, our 52 Hertz team created the launch video and the uh, the complementary assets around, you know, video. What is ocean-bound plastic? Why do we care about it? Yeah. So it's been a nice way to extend our work into brands, um, which again goes back to my love for corporations and how do we do both nonprofit and corporate work at the same time. And and that's so important.
0: And and, and I think I mean someone today, you know, posted on my my LinkedIn about like, you know, why do we need global leaders to listen and business leaders and, 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 you know, I'm all for advocating like personal change, you know, and all making a difference, but we need the global leaders on board because we need the regulation and we need the investment, and, and we need, you know, the quick shifts, you know, that only they can, can accomplish. I mean, and that doesn't diminish from kind of our individual efforts at all, but it's just like, we all need to be in this together. You know, and, and, and I feel that, you know, corporates need to work with NGOs, need to work with civil society and, and, and young people and indigenous people and, and, and disabled people and truly be, you know, very inclusive. Because like, if you don't have like, if you only have like a, a small selection of, of, of brains at the table who are all seeing kind of the world through their own lenses, you're not gonna get a very great solution. You need all of that richness of humanity to bring their perspectives and, and really build, I don't know, just like like something wildly more exciting and interesting that really doesn't also kind of damage you know, something else. And time and time again, we're presented with kind of, you know, this is the sustainable solution to X. And then you find out it's really not because, you know, it's damaging a community or it's, you know,
1: it's, it's you know, and, and, and what you're doing is so important, Jean. I couldn't, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more about the need to have corporations and nonprofits work together. It, I think most nonprofits don't know how to work with corporations. And most corporations don't know how to work with nonprofits. So we don't really see as much of that as we could. But it is critical because if I'm going to run a campaign, if we're going to run a campaign on pick your plastic waste, let's just say diapers, right? It's a huge issue around the world. Uh So let's just say diapers. I need to know that if I'm going to get people, if I'm going to create tension around this issue of diapers, I need to know that there is a market that can deliver an alternative to companies and to parents. If there is no alternative, what am I doing? I'm just getting people all riled up, right? I'm like sending them off a cliff, sending them into the sunset. And ultimately, they're going to get frustrated and they're not going to stay engaged. So the whole system has to work together. And that's the beauty of the Tom Ford Prize in all honesty is that it's, you know, it's the same thing we did with our water bottle campaign, working with uh, Jason Momoa's Mananalu and then working with, uh, by the cocos, ever and ever, we help bring ever and ever to the marketplace. But having solutions that are readily available is so critical for us to achieve success and to yeah. keep people really engaged.
0: It really is, and and having probably you know, thought about and rounded
1: out solutions as well with with many different eyes on it. (laughs) That's right. And to do less harm, right? To do less harm. And there's always unanticipated consequences in everything that we do. You know, ultimately, what we need to do is consume less. That is not our global economic model. I don't know how to solve for that. So while somebody who is smarter than I am has a bigger brain, more gray matter, (laughs) And I love for numbers, which I, I appreciate numbers so much. But while they're solving for that, I want to find those nuggets that are really scalable and where we know we can decrease our impact today. Not, not in 2030. No company we're working with cares about 2030. They, they care about 2022 and doing as much, having as much impact in 2022 as we possibly can. And, and that's where I think we need to set our sights. And I, and I do think that's what the global tension is right now is, you know, it's nice for uh, a company to say, hey, by the year 2050, we're going to be carbon neutral. We don't even know what that really means. No, we don't. And let's face it, I mean, the
0: average tenure of a CEO is, what, three years? So, I mean… <laughs> It's 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 like governments doing the same. I mean, it's 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 and it, and it's what I find extraordinary is you're making targets that you will never deliver, and and we need to be much more. You know, I mean, it's good to have the big goals and the big scary ones, but let's bring them into the immediacy. Let's bring it into your tenure and what you know what you're going to deliver. You know, <laughs> like That's
1: you know. exactly right. That's exactly right. What are you going to do right now? What did you just do? What are you going to do right now? And what did and I think also. From a leadership standpoint, I would love to see more leaders talk about what didn't you get right? What did you learn from that?
0: Yes. I, I, I mean, I have to say something very interesting at, at you know Unilever. We we used to look at, um, we used to have the, the shining stars, the, the projects that were working. And then we also used to do a session on the ugly dogs, which were <laughs> the things that didn't go so well. And I tell you, we learned so much from those. You know, and, 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 and there is, I mean, a deep level of, of humility to admit, you know, you got things wrong and often badly so. But the learnings about that are, are, are vast and, and so helpful for, for, for building better. And I think, I don't know, we, we it's, it's in, 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 in our kind of society's fear of failure that's kind of inbuilt in all of us. And I think sadly is inbuilt in, in children today because they're so put under such academic pressure you know, we, we've forgotten somehow that f- failing is, 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 is a way of learning and it's okay maybe for a small child to fall over a couple of times, but it's not okay as we kind of get, go, go on in life. And I don't know. I, I think a lot of, you know, I mean, I'm sure, you know, someone like Paul Allen would, you know, would say that, you know, not everything he ever tried works and he probably learned learned a lot from those failures, you know, and, and, and that's where the wisdom comes. Yeah.
1: I, yeah, I think, um, yeah, that's it, it is. It is totally where the wisdom comes. I don't think we have enough of it. And I, and, and, you know, I'm a mom, as you know. I have a 30 year old daughter who's amazing, and then I have a seven year old. And, and, and I just don't know. How, I, mean, <laughs> I mean,
0: I mean, hey, you don't look old enough. I mean, you really don't. You look, you know, no, 50. no, no. no. You don't look at you, you look at me. And, but yeah, I mean, I mean, yes, uh, parenting is, is, is,
1: yeah, yeah. is a challenge. <laughs> it is. What, and how do you set that stage from a really young age? So when, when our son, you know, there's something that he, that happens as a result of his action. My husband and I have tried really hard to be like, ah, no big deal. Awesome. Oh, cool. Look at what just happened as a result. So, but it's hard. It's, you know, it's hard even to teach your child that failure is, it's not failure, it's just something different happened than what you were expecting. It's the consequences of, of, of yeah, and it's, yeah? It's really interesting because I, I think it's a kind of interesting lesson in self responsibility as well that we That's own our right. mistakes as well as our, our wins. <laughs> We used to have a saying at Arthur Anderson. We had lots of sayings there. Um, one is like, I didn't shred the paper. <laughs> that wasn't, that wasn't the, I didn't shred it. But the, the one saying that we had that I, I, I just love and I, I hold with myself every single day is that the only time you fail is when you fail alone. And I mm-hmm. think that's right. So if you're working together with someone else, you're sharing, you're learning, you're collaborating, you're trying to collaborate, which is hard to do and it doesn't work out, it's okay. Because the point is that you're doing it together. You're not trying to be this siloed, isolated company, policymaker activist, you're working together. And that for us is a huge part of who we are and what we try to do.
0: It's very interesting, a, a very wise man. Um, I know once said it really is about, it, it's when, you, when, when pursuing a goal, It's really about who you become in the pursuit of that goal Um, Mm -hmm. and 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 and, you know whether you really like yourself or not (laughs) in the pursuit of that goal and you know what i just love about you june is just your your incredible service you know it's uh, to to others and 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 it's it's you know when i talk to you like your your vision is always outwards Mm -hmm. it's just amazing it's 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 rare and it's very special and, and it's kind of always like this attitude of how can I help? But how can I help really efficiently? <laughs>
1: you know? Really efficiently.
0: <laughs> yeah. Like what's the sweet spot? What's 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 the actual thing? Like that pressure point that, you know, if I change that, then 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 the whole system will change. It's it's just amazing. It's it's kind of surgical, but it's 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 very, very effective.
1: Well, I appreciate that so much coming from you, Sarah. I do. It's, it is really, it's really humbling hearing that from you. Thank you. Well,
0: no, You're trying on our side.
1: So any ideas you have, you let me know. I would oh, love I'm to see. I, I, yeah. I,
0: I, I will chew your hair off uh, a whole other time, but I mean, importantly, we've got lots of, you know, people listening to this who are just like, well, you know, how can I start somewhere? You know, what can I actually do? Because you know, I think people often like, you know, well, you know, it's just me. <laughs> you know, what you know, if it's just me, what can I do? So I mean, June, over to you. What what can people do to 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 really help, you know, join a movement and, and start somewhere?
1: I think the most important thing is to just do something and not worry about it too much. Yeah, I, mean, I think we put so much pressure on ourselves of well, if, if I do this, is this gonna be the most impactful? Don't worry about it. It doesn't matter. Because everything you do to better your community, yourself, the planet, it all helps. I was I was reading recently one of Leah Thomas's, um, for those who don't know Leah Thomas, the intersectional environmentalist leader, she did a, a piece about how she how she went viral. And she said, honestly, what I did is I woke up and I, I wrote something and I wrote it from my heart and I put it out there and I wasn't sure how people were going to respond. And she had 100,000 followers almost overnight. And I think that's a great example. We all have that within ourselves. There are things that drive us crazy. There are things that we worry about. And every day you can wake up and you can choose to do one thing, do it well. And invite somebody to do it with you because it's so much more fun when you have somebody doing it with you than by yourself. But don't worry too much about it. Is it going to be, you know, really impactful? Are people going to like it? And, you know, it, it, just don't worry about it. Just do one thing. Just one thing every single day. It's great advice. June
0: so so gorgeous to catch up with you and thank you for sharing your extraordinary story with us it's 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 so inspiring and I can't wait to you know catch up for another installment to see what extraordinary
1: things you've achieved (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait to see you in person again so I can to make that happen sometime soon but thank you so much for having me I'm it's really I'm really honored Oh, to just, be part of this. thank you and just to remind everybody
0: before you go how they can find out more about uh, Lonely Well and about yourself
1: ah, uh, Lonely Well so go to lonelywell.org I think the best way to find out about me I have been posting on Instagram little fun stories so you know you can check them out it's mostly about my crazy kid and my husband who's a horrible dancer <laughs> um it, that's you and i so you can go there to find out about me but lonelywall.org that's i would go there first
0: <laughs> june have a beautiful rest of the day and hope to see you again very soon that's wonderful thank you isn't june just extraordinary and exceptional i just love her her amazing kind of attitude and like you know we can do it and, and let's club together and and, and get this fixed it, it's just wonderful and uncompromising and and just brilliant and tomorrow we're going to hear from like one of my heroines she is extraordinary she's a 19 year old british bangladeshi activist she's an authoress i mean she's a doctor I and mean, she's just exceptional and she is also just one of the most extraordinary people that i've ever met and her Her name is Dr. Maya Rose Craig. Uh, I really urge and encourage you to tune in to hear from her. And she did this interview when she was not feeling very well, but she was still brilliant and bless her for doing it. So thank you and see you tomorrow.